Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Paddock Chat, a West Midlands Group original podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. I'm your host, Kira Holly, and I am the West Midlands Group's communications officer. Today on Paddock Chat, I caught up with Andrew Kenny, who farms a mixed enterprise of crop and sheep with his family in Bajangara. The Kennys use crop grazing during the season as a way of maintaining high stocking rates. Andrew runs us through the benefits, the constraints and the management that goes into crop grazing. We also chatted about their experience ultrasound preg scanning use following our episode, our recent episode on that topic. It's a tool the Kennys have been using for a long time and they're now considering the next steps and new technologies that could boost flock production. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on information provided in this podcast. This conversation was recorded in mid-May of 2021. Hi Andrew, welcome to Paddock Chat. Thank you for joining us today. Yep, thanks Kira, no problem. Just to get started, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, okay, yep, I guess we're farming at Bajangara in the middle of the West Midlands. Relatively new developed area. It was cleared in 1959 by my father, so a lot of this area is relatively new. So I've been farming here since probably the early 80s. I came back full-time on the farm, or late 80s perhaps, and uh, we're a bit of a mixture of uh, cropping and sheep enterprise basically, but predominantly sheep in the early years and uh, moved into a lot more cropping more recently. So you guys have been grazing dual-purpose crops for a little while here at Rubicon. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how long you've been doing it for? I'm not exactly sure, Kira, but it must be a fair while ago because I remember when we first started, our neighbours would ring up and say, your sheep are in your crops, you better hurry up and get them out. But <laughs> now, after that, they drive past every year or so and they realise they're actually meant to be there, so yep. we're allowed to leave them there. So we've been grazing for at least 10 to 15 years, somewhere around there, Kira, but I'm not exactly sure of it. Right, yep. right. And what made you guys give it a go in the first place? I guess we were trying to increase our stocking rate and run lots of sheep and we saw it as a, a good fit for filling that autumn gap and autumn to early winter gap. And it's um, really the first couple of years we did it, we couldn't believe how good it was. It felt like a free kick in football because you mm. were just getting all this free feed for nothing when you would have been otherwise trailing lucans on the ground. So, um, yeah, and we've got better at it as we've um sort of progressed through the years, I guess. Our system's got a lot uh, better yep. through the years. Yeah. Yeah. And what what are the specific benefits that you've seen from implementing this practice? I guess it has um, enabled us to keep stocking rates really, really high during that period. And you know there's always a backstop if you're having a tough season and you're feeding lots of sheep out. You know once the crop grows a little bit, you can um, spread your uh, sheep over the crop and um, keep, keep their... Keep them moving forward, basically, yeah. and get some good growth rates out of it as well. So yeah. lots of positives. Yeah. Yeah. Any has it had any impact on um, like your weed burden, or do you see a difference in yields compared to paddocks that aren't grazed? Um, well, I guess another reason, one of the reasons we gave it a go in, in a trial with Plan Farm, Richard Quinlan, we um, fenced off a hectare of canola and we put twenty sheep in it, and it would have been late July when it was flowering. And we put 20 sheep in this hectare and they both basically ate it down to nothing. And then um, we took the sheep out and, you know, four to five weeks later you could hardly notice where they were and we did a yield response and there was no yield impact at all. So I go, guess that gave us a lot of confidence going forward yeah. how far we could push the boundaries, but that was in a particularly 
good year with a nice spring, which we've been a bit short of in the last few years. But um, mm. So I guess you, you really need to benchmark how hard you can push it to, to realise the impact on yield. So year in, year out, we don't exactly know what yield we're losing, but I expect it's not very much at all. And the benefits yeah. definitely out, well, outweigh any small yield um, detriment you might, yeah. might have. Yeah. So you did mention it's a bit different during dry years. Do you manage it differently compared to like dry years compared to wetter years or...? Oh, probably not. The crop physiology, it still seems to be about the first week in August is about when it's at the Z31 stage when you've got to be a lot more careful with your crop raising as far as uh, yield penalties. So at that time seems to be standard, whether it's an early break or late break, crops seem to get to that point in time and really need to, we, we often say we clip graze them rather than graze them heavily, so we just put them in for a shorter period with a fewer numbers so they don't actually graze the crop down to the ground like we're happy to earlier in the season, but after that time so right okay what do you sow and when for the purpose of this year we've um, so managed to sow some planet barley early and barley is by far the best grazing crop we've found so, and especially planet at the moment we have trolled some dual purpose crops but planet seems to be a great one because it's got a longer season it's yep. really leafy uh, spartacus barley is a bit shorter season so your window of opportunities uh, much less but so I guess the earlier you can sow it without too much weed impact, the better off you'll be, the, the more grazing value you get out of your crop. And then do you, are there any other, do you, have you tried it with like wheat or canola even? Yeah, yeah we do, we do wheat and canola. We don't do canola every year, we do wheat every year and sometimes yep. we only have a small amount of grazing on the wheat. Yeah. They'll just walk through and have a bit of a chew and then only for three or four days then be out again. So, yeah. But the barley, we're, we're quite comfortable pushing that a lot harder. Right. And the wheat. Because we don't need to graze every crop every year, we can sort of dilute the amount of stock over the area if we need to. Yeah. yeah. And similar to the barley, have you found that there's wheat varieties or canola varieties that perform better? Pro- probably not in the wheat and canola. We, the, the hybrid canola is, is probably better. We, yeah. we are a bit reluctant sometimes in canola because we feel there could be more of a wheat impact. If okay. you open up the canopy and the weeds probably could come through a bit better. But barley is a highly competitive crop and it seems to overcome any sort of uh, weeds pretty quickly once the sheep are moved back off the crop. So. so when do you start grazing it and then when do you stop? Are you Do you do it based on you set a day and then you pull them out or is it just based on how it's looking in there? I guess it's how it's looking, how the season's set up. We we used to just have dry sheep grazing our crops but we use a lot of ewes on crops now yep. um, which gives us a few challenges as well because we're often lambing while they're grazing the crops too and you might need to move them to the next paddock so we sort of put them in there and then open the gate and sort of shuffle through the late lambers so that's a bit more problematic grazing use yeah and are you doing that because there is a shortage of pasture during that time yeah the last few years have been particularly hard on um, stock management as far as feeding sheep we haven't had good early breaks so feed's been in short supply so we've probably tried to utilize grazing crops as much as we could yes especially last year in 2017 probably were the toughest ones we've had yeah yeah. What kind of stocking rates are you running when they are in grazing a crop? That's variable. So sometimes we could have 50 for a few days, 50 a hectare just for a few days. or yep. depends on the paddock size. We normally like to run our hoggets in a mob of a 1,000 or something, so it depends on the size of the paddock. Yeah. So I guess it's the standard rule is probably 20 sheep per hectare per week. You sort of you know, would give it a rest after that. So there's no real set number. Yeah. But if the crop's looking a little bit grazed out, we'll just move them to another paddock or just 
hope it recovers and yep. with the losses. Do you have any golden rules for grazing dual crops? Anything that you absolutely stick yeah. by that really yeah. works? Looking, being kind to it in August, that's right. that's definitely a golden rule because if you have a tight spring and you've grazed it relatively heavily, then you know you're probably going to suffer a yield impact. Yeah. And the way sheep have been in the past few years, you're quite happy to wash a little bit of yield away to retain your ewe numbers. So that that's probably the hardest one. And the earlier you go, the lighter you have to graze. So if you want to try and graze at three leaf stage, it's fine, but you've probably got to wait for it to recover a bit more. If you can't hang off to the four or five leaf stage, you, you'll probably get a bit longer graze and then they'll be able to go back in there sooner after as well. So there's no real golden rule, but, yeah, we're, we're learning too. We're still yeah. learning after being done so long every year. You say, well, could have done that better. But yeah. but I think the you and land management's one thing uh, we've got to try and get better because withholding periods are obviously a bit of an mm. issue with grazing crops because if you wanted to put a small stocking rate in your paddock all year round, it would work, but then you'd have issues with chemical withholding periods, I guess. That's, yeah. that's the main, major stumbling block. Yeah. yeah. Well, sounds like it's been a useful tool, especially during the dry years. Yeah, it certainly has been. Yeah, it's certainly yeah. the only problem with it, it's meant we've kept our sheep numbers as high and we're it's not we're not utilising it as a um, just an opportunity now. We have to do it every year to retain our sh- sheep numbers. So yeah. it, it, you, we're looking for the next free kick, I guess, to yeah. make, you know, make things keep moving forward with less risk. But, it, yeah, you just need to be able to... Uh, get rid of sheep. Last year was hard, so we got rid of all our hoggets in, adjusted our hoggets in August, which made it a bit easier because once we'd finished grazing crops, we found there wasn't much pasture left anyway, so we mm. had to um, move our hoggets elsewhere, which yeah. was fortunate we could do. And so when you say you're looking for the next free kick, do you think that lies within the grazing of crops maybe <clears throat> evolving or is that does that lie in an, another new technique? I'm not sure, yeah, because dual-purpose crops... You know, we're not really using dual-purpose crops. It's it's predominantly a crop that we've grown to, to yeah. grow for yield. Yeah. So I guess a dual-purpose crop may be one that we we know is going to sacrifice a bit of yield every year but give us way more sort of grazing days per, per hectare perhaps. So, yeah, yeah I guess we, I don't know what the next step will be, but hopefully something will come down in the future. Or there's new different species that might be useful. Yeah. Yep. Have you seen any downsides to it? I guess uh, one of the problems could be if you've got a particularly weedy um, paddock, if you graze it, you do give the opportunity for the weeds to come back. So we try and avoid grazing crops in very weedy paddocks. And in, in these cases, for the last few years with pasture growing that poorly, anyway, we've been putting a lot of barley in the pastures anyway to sort of beef it up a little bit. So if you've got a weedy crop, you're better off probably not grazing it or just taking it through as as feed rather than trying to harvest because it, the weeds will get a better chance to populate. And the only other problem I guess we've had, we lost in 2017, we lost about 10, 10 ewes. It was mm. the first year we'd grazed ewes on crops uh, through calcium deficiency, but now we use calcium blocks. So that caught us out a bit that first year, but um, we're pretty well prepared for that now. So, yeah. Yep. Any other tips for anyone considering maybe implementing the practice? Uh, well, just just do it because you never know until you do it. You can't sit yeah. on the fence. you just got to let your sheep in there and yeah. forget about the neighbour ringing you up and saying they've escaped. <laughs> so I'm happy for them to be there and yeah. just see what happens because I guarantee that the implications on your yield will be minimal in the first few years because the first few years you do it, you're extremely nerv- nervous about <laughs> yield impacts and as you do it more, 
yeah. your confidence grows and you're happy to push the boundaries a lot harder. Great. So the other thing that you guys do, uh, another tool that you've got in the tool belt for good management of your flock is preg scanning or ultrasound pregnancy scanning. How long have you been doing that for? I'd say we've nearly been doing that for 20 years. We've been preg scanning for a long time. But it's probably only been the last 12 to 15 that we've been doing a proper job of it. The first few years were a bit ad hoc and yeah. just felt like the right thing to do, but we probably weren't getting much bang for buck for it. But, yeah, we certainly are now, yeah. Right. So what are you doing differently to get that bang for your buck? I guess when we when we started early on, all we saw was getting the dry sheep out of the flock and we're running the sheep a bit harder. Wool wasn't worth much, so we, it was all about getting lambs on the ground because if it was a dry sheep, it was, uh, wasn't bringing you much income, just given that wool was so poor. So we'd, all we were doing was taking the dries off. We left the singles and twins together, just took the dries off and um, probably getting 9 to 10% dries or 7 to 10, whatever it was. It was nearly uneconomical to do, mm. really. But so uh, um, later on, we've worked out singles and twins are the way to go and we seem to get a lot better lambing percentage because we split our singles and twins up and the Mm. first years we did that we didn't do that very well either because we ran our twins in big mobs and didn't look after them very well or much not as well as we should have done Mm. and then we found that the the lambing rate was only about 115 to 120 percent in twins and we thought well that's not very good it's nearly a waste of time but more in recent years, we've learnt you've got to have the smaller the mob, the higher the percentage of lambs you'll have, and we've learnt to manage the nutrition a lot better for the twins. So yeah. it's becoming more and more an important um, role in our business as far as efficiency goes, separating the singles and twins. So was it the was it the increase in efficiency and and a boost to your flock production that motivated you guys to get into it in the first place? Uh, just being more efficient feeders so we needed to feed the singles less and the twins more so we just wanted to make sure we got a better uh, system of uh, supplementary feeding our sheep for starters yeah and then we separated them into the paddocks because shelter is very important for twins yeah because there's more mismothering so if you can put you can give them the best lambing paddocks and the singles are a bit more robust and they can have paddocks a little, little bit more exposed and less likely to lose lambs whereas the mismothering in twins in a or shelter paddocks are always fairly high. Yeah. yeah. Great. I mean, you've kind of already touched on the benefits that you've seen in terms of efficiency and better nutrition. Can you talk about that a bit more in depth? I guess uh, time of lambing's uh, one big efficiency we can move towards too. Last year we tried, last couple of years we tried a three-week uh, mating, which really uh, shortens up the time for lambing, so it gives you an opportunity to move ewes through a paddock better if you're crop grazing mm-hmm. and also you've got more flexibility if it's a tough season you if your sheep are lambing a week later you've got another opportunity for a week to sell them as dry because mm-hmm. you can't transport them within a month from lambing yeah and it's better for mulesing there's a lot of um advantages to it and it's and you can do them for the older sheep so if you do have a few too many few extra dry it doesn't really um it's not a big impost on your business whereas if you had lots of dries in young flock you really don't want that so we found that we don't actually get that many more dries. We probably go to 5% to sort of 8 or 9%. So we do get slightly more dries with a three-week lambing. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. But it certainly does give us a lot more flexibility with that flock. We know they're lambing within a three-week three, three week window. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can uh, – they're almost like an opportunity crop because you can offload them if you need to. You get the chances to. Yeah. 
And um, so you can embryo scan over East, so obviously embryo time, so they can they might leave the ram in for eight weeks and then sort of all four weeks take them out for a couple of weeks and then put the rams in again. But for us, that's probably a big step to go. We may go there one day, but we find it easier just to have one lambing within a certain time frame. Yeah. Works better. So. Yeah. Would you say it's worth the cost in terms of, you know, the labour and, and the cost of the actual service itself? Oh, well, it's, well the cost is cheap. Mm-hmm. I was talking to our contractor the other day, Beck, and saying, well, it's almost, you know, too cheap for the value it gives you business, really. <laughs> because for all the other money you spend on your sheep enterprise, 80 cents to have your have you, you identified whether it's a single twin or a, um, a dry? It certainly does give you, you know, make, makes the whole system work a lot better. Yeah, good bang for your buck. Yep. Yeah. So return on investment, do you have um, an idea of the kind of return on investment that you're seeing or the improvement over the years? Um, I guess for a dollar to uh, work out your pregnancy status of your sheep over a year's, you know, it probably nearly is absorbed into any other cost because it's not it's significant at all yeah. as far as um, it, you, the idea is obviously to increase your lambing rate feed less or feed more efficiently to the where it's required so mm. yeah you, you get your money back in spades for sure yeah yep. bit of a no brainer isn't yeah, it yeah it is a no brainer <laughs> and I guess we're trying to um, we've got three three times the lambing at the moment we've got a three week lambing for the older sheep yep a four week for the sort of mixed age and we still have a five week lambing for the young maidens to give, just to give them a bit more opportunity to get in to land. So I don't know where we'll go in the future, how much we'll shorten that. So yeah. we'll keep that the same, but it seems to be working at the moment. So Could you add another lambing? Is that too many? Um, well, people do if they lamb early. We, we lamb not late, but we don't start lambing till July anyway. Yeah. So people that lamb earlier probably have got the opportunity to say, well, you know, we can put them in and then all our dries we could remake, but... Mm. As far as our operation goes, I just don't think it would add much benefit really for the, to having another mob of late lambing sheep yeah. running around the farm. Yeah. Or a small mob of late lambing sheep. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's been great for your operation and, and that management and decision-making in the season in terms of the best nutrition for what those ewes need. Um, any downsides? Don't get your sheep mixed up after scanning. them. <laughs> You need to treat your um, dries like um, quarantine diseased animals or mark them very well. We yeah. had, we've always had a mix-up now and again. Well, we don't have a mix-up every year, saying that, but yeah. last year we had 25 sheep get back back in where they shouldn't have done. Yeah. But that's the downside. Just make sure the chains are on the gates and if you're getting backpackers, have them well trained before yeah. you start the operation to know that it's pretty important they don't get mixed up again, otherwise you've done the whole day's work for nothing. But Yeah. Uh, there's not really any downsides, yeah. But it can be a tough job, especially in summer when it's hot, if the sheep don't like running into the crate. Fortunately mm-hmm. for us, being slightly later lambers, it's normally in May. This year was great because they're all fresh shorn. Then it was raining while we were doing preg testing, so uh, we had raincoats on doing preg testing, so it was actually fairly therapeutic knowing that we actually wanted the rain. But, yeah. 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 But it wasn't much fun in the mud, but yeah, certainly an uh, opportunity. Could have been worse. Rain. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Okay. Well, do you have anything else to add to your experience with preg scanning, or not really? They've, they've all got quicker. The technology is probably the same. The operators have well, they've got new probes. I think that are, are more effective and yep. quicker at identifying the 
yeah. the, the fetuses. So. And the fetal ageing is obviously, you know, that's getting better and better. So we haven't got a terribly cold climate. Like we've been mm. over to Victoria and had a bit of a tour over there and they've got a pretty harsh mm. lambing period. So for them, fetal ageing is important. Mm. They've only got so many good lambing paddocks and they might only have a window of 10-day lambing that they want all the sheep in that period to be lambed and then out again so they can bring the new lot in. So it, it might have a place here yet. I'm not sure, but, you know, there's, there is opportunities, yeah. Yeah. Are you guys using any EID technology? No, we were discussing that this year. That oh, yeah. Maybe we need to identify the twins and see how the, whether they're twins yeah. year after year. It's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, it will hmm. be. Uh, my son suggested we put um, tags on all the twins but that would be a fairly onerous job drafting all the sheep or not drafting the sheep but running the sheep back through the yards and putting tags on them mm. we're actually finding that we're getting more twin lambers scanned than we are singles so it's sort of the way it works so yeah and they're carrying fun the whole way through mostly that, that's what we don't know right kira that's what we don't know so because we don't uh wet and dry at lambing time yeah we could have a you that scans in twins every year yeah and she doesn't produce anything but um that's perhaps needs refining. Yeah. Because there there will be some passengers or yeah. poor sheep that don't get to have any lambs after their scan. Yeah. yeah. And they are bored at the later stage perhaps. But um yeah, mm. we're we're busy enough at mealsing time, we haven't really found the yeah. the the niche to do that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Talking to Beck about the EID side of things, it sounds like that's an exciting step in the future that's just gonna uh streamline the process. And the the management even more so. So exciting stuff yeah, ahead. It is. Well and truly, yeah. So we're fortunate to have a uh, someone so good at the job locally within the area. So yeah. 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 Yep. Very good. Cool. Okay. Well, I've got my final question. What do you love most about your job and what keeps you interested in farming? I guess farming's evolving, fortunately. Farming is the same every year and year out. Mm. There'd be a little, lot less um, interest, but it's a challenge every year where you you dealt up new rainfall pattern or anything or a outbreak of not COVID, but something else that might yeah. revise or something that might be a bit problematic on your farm. Yeah, and it's certainly a field that the world needs farmers to produce food. So we're going to be here for a long time yet. So I guess the more efficient and the better technology can help us in the future, um, it's exciting to see what lies ahead. Yeah, great. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show and talk to us today and for sharing your knowledge. Cheers. No worries, Kira. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to Andrew for being so generous with his time and with his knowledge. If you're enjoying our podcast, please make sure you rate, review and subscribe on wherever you listen to your podcasts. The best way to receive our updates and stay in the loop with the latest in local research and results is by becoming a West Midlands Group member. Visit our website www.wmgroup.org.au and head to the Become a Member page. Our members are an essential part of why we do what we do. And finally, thank you to our sponsors and members without whom this podcast would not be possible. See you next time for some more Paddock Chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you.